Amen. Do you guys make available last night's teaching anywhere? All right, good. I would encourage you if you didn't, even if you did hear it, um, not even about hearing it, but just about, I take myself out of it. I really believe that Psalm 1 and 2 are very prophetic chapters for us in this hour. And it's not a chapter that we can be ignorant of, that we need understanding and that we need clarity. And if a couple of the phrases out of the message can launch you into something, then praise God. So I'd encourage you to check the website out, jhopboston.com, and uh, check it out as soon as it comes up. And uh, I actually, one of the products back there is we recently, about three weeks ago, released a, a CD called Ask of Me. And uh, um, it's live messages, and it's based around the Psalm 2 season. God had me pretty much preaching the Psalm 1 and 2 message 70 weekends in a row. <clears throat> so, you know, that I, I did it. I, I really gave myself to Psalm 1 and 2. It's not a little thing to me. If you cut me, I bleed it. And so... Um, that's whether you know something, whether you get stabbed and you bleed it. And uh, I don't know why you'd stab me, but because we do that. Anyway, well, we're going to go a different direction this morning. Turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Um, I'd encourage you to get a hold of books, CDs. Uh, my wife has done, uh, we didn't have any of her CDs. She's done CD before called I Believe. Her song, Faith Like a Child, That Behold God is Great, is on my eyes open CD. Um, and so uh, it'll, it'll blow you up. Uh, products have changed my life, you know, books, CDs, stuff like that. You can remember moments where I get encountered and you want to find the stuff that makes you cry and keep listening to it Amen. versus we don't need to keep hearing talk radio and sports radio and uh, uh, political radio because it's the same old story. We need God in America. Amen. I know we like the entertainment factor, but we need God. All right, so, um, Father, we just thank you for what you did last night. <clears throat> we thank you that your word got sowed in good ground and that it will come forth 30, 60, 100 fold. We thank you for the anointing on the word. We thank you, Father, that you would touch our eyes and our ears and our spirits this morning. We ask you to charge the atmosphere with light. We take authority over all confusion. We take authority over all um, other things going on in our minds. And, Father, I ask you, for your grace to speak your word this morning. And I ask you to release your presence on every heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, Psalm 91. And when I, God began, I mean, really, for the last three years, he's just been taking psalms and wrecking me. Like I spent 2013 in Psalm 132. And when I say 2013, it means where you begin to make it your bed and you start doing that kind of stuff to where you can't even read it anymore. But you don't have to read it anymore because you can say it. <laughs> and, uh, when, and so I spent so, uh, 2013 in Psalm 132. I spent 2014 in Psalm 1 and 2. And I spent 2015 in Psalm 91 and Psalm 18. And so when I get into those passages, I love reading my Bible in a year, but sometimes God will write 20 verses on your spirit in a year. You know, who, you know and, and sometimes to break through the, the surface, he'll release a lot more. I want to read Psalm 91. It's one we all know well. It's, a, it's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. And I think it's very important for us in this hour. I'm gonna, I want you to focus on verses 1, 9, and 14. 1, 9, and 14. <clears throat> because they're conditional blessings. Everybody loves the Psalm 91 blessings. But I'm here to tell you that the Psalm 91 blessings are conditional. That it's given to the person 
that goes from seeing God as an emergency ATM into seeing him as their dwelling place. Those are the ones who experience the blessings of Psalm 91. All right, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. How close do you have to be to someone to catch their shadow? Pretty close. I want to catch God's shadow. He says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. It's personal. My fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. Who in here knows God has feathers? And under his wings you shall take refuge. He says this, his truth shall be your shield and your buckler. And then he, in verse 5, he says, there's four things you will not be afraid of. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. If I were to even, we could minister right now into people who have insomnia, people who have warfare in the night seasons, demonic dreams. Many of us have torment in the night. And he says, there's a Psalm 91 blessing to deliver you from terror in the night. I want you to know that it's your portion. <laughs> Number two, or the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that walks in darkness, or the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Verse seven, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. What is the reward of the wicked? Judgment. Verse 9, pay attention to this. Because you, put your name in there, have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Verse 11, he shall give his angels charge over you. Guys, I'm here to tell you right now, angels are real. And God gives angelic protection and ministry to the people who make him their dwelling place. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, which means to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from losing your mind and ending up in some stupidville for a season. He releases angels that will come and keep you on the road you're supposed to be on. Verse 12, in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone, which means they'll carry you through vulnerable seasons. Angelic ministry will be assigned to you. This is a declaration from the word of God. Angels will be assigned to you. And the very feet that God protects will be the feet, verse 13, that will tread upon the lion and the cobra. I mean, think about that. How many of y'all have been stopping on cobras? The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Verse 14, now the father breaks in and, he, and he's going to give his assessment of the man or the woman that will make him their dwelling place. I love this. God breaks in and the father says, because he, put your name in there, has set his love upon me. I love that phrase. Because you have set your love upon him. I want to set my love on him, don't you? God says, I will do seven things for them. Number one, I will deliver them. Number two, I will set them on high because they've known my name. Number three, they will call upon me and I will answer them. Answered prayer is a promise from God. Number four, I will be with them in trouble. Number five, I will deliver them and I will honor them. Number six, you get a long life. And number seven, 
he will show you his salvation, which means the spirit of revelation will rest upon you. Who in here loves this song? That's loaded. That's loaded. That is filled with hope, courage, strength. And the Holy Spirit had me in Psalm 91 from June till about December. And which means that's what I swim in. I write on it so many times I can't even read it anymore. And it'll make it my bed. And I spent several months in there and the Holy Spirit began to bring four big things to my heart as I read this and gave myself to this. Number one, he began to say to me, saying, Corey, the body of Christ, well, first off, it always begins with personal. I don't, I don't normally ever, whenever the Lord starts messing me or touching me with the passage, I don't immediately think of a, of a message out of it. I want you to know that. The first thing I'm doing is getting encountered and confronted by God in my own personal life. It's not thinking about, oh, this will make a good message. It's, oh my God, you're getting up into my business. And he begins to remove furniture and move furniture around in my interior life as he begins to ask the question to me, Corey, I want you to see me from a, I want you to go from seeing me as a crisis ATM where you run to me in difficulty and I want you to move from emergency mode into perpetual making me your dwelling place. I want to become your dwelling place, Corey. What does that mean for us? It means I want to be your number one source of comfort. I want to be your number one source of joy. I want to be your number one source of entertainment. That's when he starts dealing with my Netflix. That's when he starts dealing with my addictions and my comforts to dull pain, to numb pain, to escape. He says, I want to get up in your business, Corey. I want to be your dwelling place. I've made you mine. Will you make me yours? And then he says, Corey, it's not just you, but you're in the midst of a bunch of people who are running to and fro and who will run to me in emergency, but who will not abide in me continually. I want them to dwell in me because I've got joy that will meet the deepest parts of their depressed souls. I got comfort. I, I receive it, but if they could just break through, they will experience it. The Lord says, I want you to begin to proclaim this. And he goes, I want you to begin to call the body of Christ out of crisis mode and into dwelling mode. Number three, the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly. He goes, Corey, I want you to memorize Psalm 91. I really feel like memorization of the Bible is about to come back in a strong way. I feel like the Lord was telling me, Corey, I want you to start thinking about America coming into imprisonment and camps where you no longer have the Bible, and the Bible is outlawed, and you're no longer able to have the book anymore, but I want us to have so much word on the inside of you, me and you don't skip a beat. And I think about myself sometimes when I'm in the prayer room thinking, how, let's, let's think about one day in a, in a prison cell. Could I talk to God Bible for a day? Could I talk to God Bible? Memorize. I want to tell you, Jesus fought the devil with the word. He didn't have time to go look up the Torah. He was fasting, weak, in the desert, and the devil was tempting him. And Jesus... He couldn't go read something from the Torah. He had to pull out what was living on the inside of him. It is written. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is written. It is written. That sword comes out of him. Cuts the devil. And the Lord was telling me, Corey, I want you to speak Psalm 91 in the prayer room. When you're driving your car, when you're folding clothes, when you're driving the kids to school, I want you to speak it to me. I want you to speak it to God. I want you to speak it against the devil. And I want you to speak it over your own life. Most of us are trying to wield the butter knife of the spirit against the devil. He didn't say take up the butter knife. Gonna rub some butter on his back. Stop. This is most of our warfare. Stop it. Leave me alone. It's a tough season. Get away. You don't know what I'm going through. The devil is not a lazy devil. I wish he was. He's not lazy. He is a hard worker. He's a legalist. And he works nonstop looking for whom he may devour. And he stands day and night before the throne accusing, lying, twisting, perverting. He is the father of lies. He's the originator of lies. He's a perverter, a twister, a corrupter. And you've got to get that sword in your mouth and say, no evil shall befall me, nor shall any plague come near my dwelling. A thousand will fall at my left, 10,000 at my right hand. I may feel it. I may lose my way for a second, but I'm going through this storm and I'm going to make it through it. And you keep moving because I will not be touched. We got to get the word in our mouth and we got to man up and begin to declare the word of God. Get the butter knife and exchange it for the sword of the spirit. I'm serious. Most of us don't know how to fight the devil. We know how to get in emotions and we know how to run to a bottle, run to a bunch of friends, run to movies, run to whatever instead of taking up the sword of the spirit and cutting off that spirit of oppression, cutting off that spirit of accusation. Take up the sword of the spirit and cut off the works of the devil. In the name of Jesus, you get that anointing oil. You put it on the doorpost of your house. You pray over your kid's house. You pray over your kids' rooms. You put it on your kids' foreheads. You put it like a cross and you declare and pray in the Holy Spirit. Sing and declare praises to God. That's what you do. I don't know why this is so foreign. We just take a whooping and it takes us six months to realize we're in warfare. Let's wake up. Anyway, I didn't mean going off on that. Feeling a little ornery this morning. And number four, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. Corey, take a step back and look at the backdrop of Psalm 91. Because it's intense. We love Psalm 91. But if you take a step back, it's like a person walking through a war zone. Thousand falling, ten thousand to your left. Plagues, pestilence, death. All kinds of warfare breaking out. And there's a person, a man, a woman who makes him his dwelling place who walks right through it unscathed. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about storms that are here and storms that are coming in this nation. He says, and Psalm 91 is a weapon for the body of Christ in this hour. Psalm 91 is a weapon that I'm giving the body of Christ. I, I come from Kansas City, and we live in what's called Tornado Alley, to which, you know, it, it'll just come through there. Tornadoes are gnarly, if you've ever been a part of them. Just of seeing, uh, we had a lot of them last summer. 
And uh, uh, I remember last summer, we, we all went out in the, fam- at the family to see those storm clouds gather in are absolutely fascinating. To see storm clouds move in so fast, to see the darkness intermingle with the light, and to see and how you can look 10 miles down the road and see funnel clouds dropping. And we as a family came out in the cul-de-sac, and we're watching all this, just enjoying it, kind of being entertained by it, watching the funnel clouds dropping, going, this is unbelievable, taking all of our pictures. Then all of a sudden, the most annoying, god-awful sound broke in the middle of our neighborhood. Sirens. And it's just spinning around in our neighborhood. And it took our little time from entertainment to being annoyed. And it wouldn't stop. And I was just kept saying, well, please stop. This is so cool and so serene and so peaceful. You can feel it in the air. A, a weird expectation. And we're the weird family that... You know, sits there and keeps staying out there a little too long. Because it's, it's always over there. <laughs> Until it becomes your neighborhood. And all of a sudden, after about three minutes of being annoyed, I go, my goodness. There's, there's a tornado. It's not just way over there. There's a tornado about to break into here. And it shifted us from entertainment mode into preparation and seeking shelter mode. And it began to say, we've got to get to a basement with no windows and begin to hunker down and get underneath some stuff because a tornado is about to come through. And, and in all of that, the Holy Spirit, and it was at the same time he was talking Psalm 91 to me. He says, Corey, I want you to know that sirens are going off in America. Sirens are going off in America. And most of us try to push it out of our minds. We try to act like it's not going on. We try to push it away. The last... Decade and a half, sirens have been sounding off in this nation to wake up the church out of her slumber, to quit coming up with band-aids on gaping wounds. And I, want to, and I want us to feel that, that sirens are going off and they're to awaken the church. Nobody likes sirens. Nobody likes alarms. Did anybody wake up at 5.30 this morning and when you, or whatever time you wake up, maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up early, does anybody get excited when you hear that alarm at 5.30 in the morning? A couple of you do. Right? There's always a couple. Got a couple of Joel Osteens that get really excited when they wake up in the morning. I think the dude just smiles all the time, man. I think he really does. <laughs> you know, he pops out of bed at 5. Yes! Yes! Not me. <laughs> and you sit there for a little bit. You live in that in-between measure. Am I going to stay up or am I going to go back? And you're in the valley of decision. What are you going to do in the valley of decision? And then I usually, because I'm leading a bunch of young people to do 6 a.m. prayer, I can just all see them. He's a hypocrite, a liar, an old man. He's telling us to do the hard stuff while he lays in bed. And so I go, okay, I'm getting up. But I don't get up with a big smile. It's a dragging yourself to the shower. and That's my walk of dragging yourself. Um, get a little wood leg on you there. But um, <laughs> what, is, what is the nature of an alarm? It's rude. It doesn't care how good your sleep is. It doesn't care how little sleep you got last night. It doesn't care how comfortable that, that little downy comforter is. 
how nice that posturepedic bed is. It doesn't care how cold it is outside. It doesn't care what you've been going through in this last season. It don't care. It has one agenda, and that's to get your lazy behind out of bed. And it takes the rudeness of the alarm to get you out of bed. Because if I had an alarm like this, Corey, it's time to get up. We're going to have a good day. You excited? Get up, Corey. Get up, Corey. Get up, Corey. Get up, Corey. Corey, Corey. That ain't going to work. We need the... <laughs> but thank God for alarms. Thank God for alarms or we'd just keep on sleeping through life. We'd keep on sleeping, be late every day for work, which would end up being fired, and we would end up just living in a perpetual sleep cycle. Thank God for alarms. Jesus has alarms. He talked about them in Matthew 24 that would come upon the earth to wake up the church. He says, deception is coming. He talked about things like wars. He talked about things like famines, pestilences, earthquakes. He talked about things like betrayal, offense, hatred, cold love in the church. He says that there would, he said there would be a bunch of false prophets that would prophesy different messages using the name Jesus, which means they would have Bible verses but twist them into saying things that aren't biblical. Jesus says these would be sirens to get you to go, hold on, hold on. What's going on? I need to move and begin to get into a place of shelter of clinging to Christ in a new way. I just want to say it to you humbly. I mean, I'll say it to you soberly. I, but guys, we, we are seeing storms break on. We are in the middle of seeing a tsunami of lawlessness hit this nation. We are seeing a tsunami of lawlessness. I talked out of Psalm 2 last night. And nations seeking to throw off the cords and bonds of God's word. His de definitions, his definitions of our sexuality, of marriage, of morality, of what the Bible has to say about many subjects. And, and uh, we are seeing a generation seeking to throw it off, saying it's time we get delivered from the old archaic view of God. And it's time we create a God in our own image who at the end of the day does the things for us that we want him to. And the view of God that's coming forth is a God who would never infringe on your personal rights. He's a God who is into you being happy. And I'm here to tell you right now, your true happiness is found in his holiness. Your true happiness is found in his holiness. We are seeing storms break in. We're seeing national storms. Walls are breaking down. Guys, I, you know, we are living... We are seeing a sexual storm. We're living in what we're calling the pornification of a generation. We are living in a pornified world. We're in a new day. I mean, I'm from the South to where, you know, I try to go, you know, as a 13-year-old boy, try to go to the 7-Eleven and try to get a bad magazine. The guy behind the desk said, Corey Russell, you better get your butt home, boy. I'm going to spank you and then tell your dad. <laughs> I know who you are. And that was my only option to get the magazine. So I'm stuck. 
And I was afraid of that 7-Eleven guy. Because <laughs> I knew he'd pull it out. He knew my dad. Not anymore. We got 11-year-olds. The first age of average use of pornography is 11 years old. We are seeing a generation where this is beginning to, they call pornography the new drug. Stronger than heroin. Stronger than, and what we're seeing is the, the, the new shaping of the brain of a generation. Confusion is breaking in concerning the sanctity of marriage. All forms of immorality are, are on the table. Heterosexual immorality, homosexual immorality, adultery, the Ashley Madison website, boast, and the 35 million websites that are loosed. And this is the tagline of the website, life is short, have an affair. The confusion that's hitting a generation, and we're living in the middle of it. But I believe that there is a Psalm 91. I believe in a Psalm 91 immunity. It's not a place to fear. I believe in a Psalm 91 immunity for us and our children. And we got to get into the fight with our sons and our daughters and talk about these things and not act like it's not going on and just say, no, we're in a full-on epidemic. We're in the midst of a pestilence. And we're going to walk through this thing and press through it and, and, and cling to Psalm 91. I believe we're in a family crisis, a family storm. We're seeing families that are being attacked. We're seeing, we are, guys, it's, I shared a little bit last night, but guys, I just want to say to you right now, these have been some of the hardest years as our family has been fighting to fight for each other's hearts, turning to one another. We know that the last words of Malachi 4 is that he's going to release the spirit of Elijah. He's going to release Elijah, and Elijah is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, and mothers to daughters, and vice versa. Our families are under assault. Division, confusion, divorce, the war around marriage and around family. And I believe that we are in the midst of a family storm, and we need the fathers and the mothers to fight for marriage, to fight for covenant, turn to their kids and go after their hearts. Go fight for them in their confusion. Go fight for them in the place of prayer and fasting. Begin to build family altars. And begin to say, we're going to just worship. We're going to put on a CD and we're going to do it for five minutes. I don't want to be here. Well, you're going to sit here for five minutes. Or you're not eating tonight. Tell you, I've done a lot of things in my house. You're not eating tonight. We don't want to infringe on the kids' rights. Yes, you do. <laughs> I've told my kids that you're not eating tonight if you don't sit here and listen to this song for 10 minutes <laughs> I'm not as tough as I sound but but I tell you I've had a lot of we'll try to do a lot of things in our house but there's nothing that gets more warfare over trying to sit down and pray together read the Bible and worship together there's nothing that has more warfare on it than sitting down as a family and try to pray together or worship or even talk about God or what's going on in their life. Which shows me Satan's showing his hand. This is where the battle line is at. We got to get in the middle of this fight with our families. Jesus. And number four, in the midst of an hour to where we need the church and we need pulpits and leaders that are giving clarity and that are calling the church into righteousness. I'm, fear, I'm fearful as I hear many 
pastors and leaders shying away and being very quiet on the core issues of our day and not speaking and calling the church into righteousness. Not calling the church into repentance. I love to hear of the mercy, the love, and the grace of God. We will be crying in a billion years on the sea of glass saying, how did I get into this room? I promise you, you will. You will be crying saying, how did I get here? The same way you're crying today saying, how did I get here? You'll be crying in a billion years saying, how did I get here? It says in Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come, he's going to show the exceeding riches of his kindness. How did I get here? How did, I, how did you get here? I know your story. How did I, how'd you get here? <laughs> We're going to be pinching ourselves forever. <laughs> but I want to say to you right now that to only proclaim mercy, grace, kindness, and love at the expense and without a corresponding call to repentance, holiness, denying of oneself, taking up a cross, and following Jesus. It will lead the church into error and heresy. We're doing a discredit to the next generation. When you highlight one truth at the expense of another, that's when you get into error. None of God's truths contradict themselves. They, none of them contradict each other. Jesus. His grace, as I said last night, doesn't allow me to stay in a certain place of sin. It picks me up, kicks me in the behind, and say, you were made for something so much higher. You were made for real pleasure. You were made for real joy and real peace. And this isn't it. Get out of this. Come on, leave that guy. He's an idiot. Boyfriend, I'm talking about. <laughs> and then he'll show up to the idiot and say, I love you, son. <laughs> so he's doing things on 10 levels. He's calling him an idiot to you, but then he'll show up to the idiot saying, I love you, son. <laughs> and he's so kind to all of us. <laughs> I've never had this much fun preaching this message. I'm enjoying it. So uh, <laughs> I want to say to you right now, we need preachers. We need leaders. We need teachers. We need worship leaders. That's why I love Dana's worship this morning as well as Daryl's last night. It's calling us to a focus on God. Connecting and looking at him. The holy, holy. The beautiful God. It's us getting off the throne and us beginning to worship him. He's not our professional butler who's here to serve us and make us happy. He's the holy one. He's the beautiful God. So what's the answer in the midst of all these storms? Psalm 91. Psalm 91, we cling to Christ. We make him our dwelling place. We begin to go on a journey in 2016 of cutting off the excess in our life. Amen. Beginning to go on a little detox. A little detox from media. A little detox from social media. A little detoxes. Just, and then watch yourself manifest. And then that will show you. Watch, that will show you how clued in you are by how much you begin to manifest 30 minutes in. <laughs> I get it, man. Struggle's real. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Watch it. Watch it and say, God, I want you to be my dwelling place. I want you to be my number one source of entertainment. I want the Bible to go from mostly boring to a place of mostly pleasure. Pleasure. 
I can sit in front of a movie, bladder exploding, about to pee on myself, and I'm going, I ain't moving. I know I could pause it, but I ain't moving. I got to see this. We get five minutes in the Bible. Say, I think I got to go to the bathroom. I need my third bathroom break in 10 minutes. What is that? Something wrong with that. One is, I want to tell you, when you open this book, it's a prophet. And he'll start reading your mail. And sometimes he'll start exposing a slumbering spirit on you. Maybe that's why you start yawning. A slumbering spirit's manifesting. (laughs) It's always the call in the midst of the storms to dwell in him. Here's another good psalm for you, Psalm 27. Y'all know Psalm 27? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David says, when the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh. He goes, I'm surrounded on every side. He goes, you know what? In the middle of being surrounded on every side, he says, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord. This one thing I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, most of us only think of Psalm 27, 4. Psalm 27, 4 is validated in Psalm 27, 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. And then he says the most amazing phrase, He goes, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will sing praises to the Lord. I call Psalm 27.4 the divine elevator. You give your life to making God your one thing. I want to tell you Christianity is simple. Because if you go after one thing, you get everything. But if you go after everything, you get nothing. And after you making him your dwelling place or your one thing, what begins to happen is as you build a history of focusing and making him your dwelling place, in the times of trouble, he takes you into the elevator. And he gives you divine perspective over your enemies. I'm serious. It's the place of perspective. And he says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Some of us got to go through storms. Storms are part of this life. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We're going to go through it. But I'm here to tell you right now, perspective is everything in the midst of it. You can either have those storm clouds weighing you down or like an eagle, you can get up above the clouds and look down on them versus being overwhelmed by them. It's all about can you get above the clouds so that you can get into that place of high praise and that spirit of faith and beginning to declare the next season when you're in the middle of it and have the faith to see it. Because if you don't learn how to ascend and get above the clouds, you will get destroyed by that season and by the storms. These are personal storms we go through, personal crisis in our families, in our homes, in our finances. You're either going to get buckled by it or you're going to learn to get above it. Now my head, and he goes, and I shall sing. I love that. I will sing praises to my God. Psalm 31 says that he will hide us in the secret place of his presence from the strivings of tongues and the the mouth of people. God wants to deliver you from what other people think about you. 
There's a place called the secret place of his presence. I want the secret place of his presence. I want to get delivered from what you think about me. Psalm 46, when there's rage, he says, be still. Hallelujah. Matthew 5, when he says, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And he who sees in secret will reward you openly. But you need to go into your room and shut the door. You need to lock that door. You need to bar that door. Because you're going to try to get out. And you need to look at him who is in secret. Look at him. Talk to him. Lock eyes with him. There is a man, his name is Jesus, and he has eyes like fire. And he is inviting you to lock eyes and make eye contact with him. Talk to him. Who can dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Who of us is worthy enough to stand in that holy flame? Nobody. The story of the Bible is when God could not find a man to stand in that place, he became a man. When God could not find a man, the story of the Old Testament is, is there a man, is there a man, is there a man to stand in the gap, to stand in the holy place? And the answer always came back, no. It's because there is no man that is righteous enough to fulfill all of God's righteous standards while being joint to humanity, but yet fully holy before God. No man is worthy to stand in that place. But thanks be to God, when we could not get into that place, God became a man. He took on your flesh. He took on your form. He didn't become an angel when the angels fell. But when 100% of us said, God, we don't want you, he says, not so fast. And he came to the earth, and he became a man, and the perfect life you could not live. He walked the earth for 33 years, and he fulfilled every temptation. He was underneath every assault that is common to you. Jesus endured every temptation, every arrow, every assault. He went through every swirl of lust, anger, everything that's common. He took it, and yet he did not sin. He trusted Father in the middle of every season, which means we're making it because he makes it. He then climbs up on that cross, and he says, Father, what's belonging to Corey? Pour it out on me. The father unleashed his wrath on his son. And in killing his son, he is killing my old man and the dominion of my old nature. Delivering me. Delivering us. And he takes us into himself. He takes us into that grave. And he says, Corey, on the count of three, we're going to break out of this joint. One, two, three. Breaks the power of the grave comes out of the grave breaking the power of sin, breaking the power of death, breaking the power of sickness, breaking the power of the devil. And then he ascends to Father's right hand. He says, everybody coming with me? Come on, put your faith in me. And he takes Father's seat, right hand, and he says he's gathered us up into himself and he's seated us together with him in the heavenly places. And he pours out the Holy Spirit to where now he comes. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you've now become the secret place of the Most High. Not by your own works, but by the grace of God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It's a good day. 
It's a good day. You've become the dwelling place of God. You have divine life and love and power dwelling in your spirit. You have all joy and peace and wisdom. I don't know if you believe me. We got to do some teaching on Holy Spirit. Beloved, you have an eternal roommate. His name is Holy Spirit. I think we've turned Christianity into a moral code and trying harder. Christianity is not trying harder. It's fellowshipping with him more. It's talking to him more. God's released a dynamo, a power and light district in your spirit. <laughs> and he's made you his dwelling place. This is why we were still dead in our sins. He has done this for us. And John 15, the night before their storm. I mean, do you understand all the disciples forsook Jesus? Do you understand that? Every one of them. That was Jesus' leadership strategy. Everybody left him. You know, I was reading on the plane over. This doesn't have too much to do with this. But, you know, Peter's story. Peter told the Lord, Lord, I'll never deny you. And the Lord says, yeah, you will, Peter. You're pretty jacked up and you're not as committed as you think you are. <laughs> That's in my terms. But you're not as committed as you think you are. There's going to come a little storm in your life and you're going to be running around looking for your mama. You're going to be looking for your mom. You're about to buckle. He goes, no, I won't. I'm going to the death. Jesus goes, okay. A couple hours later, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter can't sleep, or he keeps getting woke up. He won't pray with Jesus. And then they come in with Judas and the Roman soldiers, and they come in, and Peter goes, this is my moment. This is my moment to show Jesus how devoted I am. He takes out a sword, and he swings the sword, and all he gets is the, is the dude's ear and cuts it off. He cuts off a dude's ear, and I just see Jesus. Jesus picks the ear up and says, Peter, what are you doing? Heals the ear. Puts the ear back on. <laughs> and Jesus, in essence, goes, here I am, guys. Take me. Come on, let's do this. This is why I came. I didn't come to overthrow Rome and do it all that way and the way you think I am. I'm coming to lay down my life. And so Jesus is now being taken away with the soldiers, and Peter's there stumbling, going, oh, my goodness. He just put the ear back on, and I always wondered about the guy's name's Malchus, and I wonder what he's thinking right there. I just had my ear put back on. I can't take this guy in. I'd like to know his story. So they're, they're all walking now, and Peter kind of stumbles into the courtyard while Jesus is up there getting spit on, and they're, they're asking him questions, and Peter's down there just stumbling, and I thought I knew who he was. I don't know who he is. And then somebody come up to him, hey, you're one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? He goes, no, no, I, I don't know who you're talking about. It's not me. Stumbles a little bit later, keeps walking around. Somebody else comes up to him. And, and, and I don't even know really why I'm all talking about this, but somebody else came up to him and they go, hey, you were with Jesus. He goes, no, I wasn't. I don't know who you're talking about. And then later on in the night, and it says, and I was reading in John, I think about 18, it might be 19, it says that the third person that asked Peter if he was a follower of Jesus, it says literally that she or he was a relative of the dude that Peter cut off his ear. I don't know why he said that. It's almost like it's salt on an open wound. The very place that you tried to show your strength, 
ended up turning around and the relative of that dude comes up and asks, were you him? And I wasn't him. And that's when he, that's when he says, no, I wasn't. He hears the rooster crow and then Peter started cussing and then he ran off. <laughs> I think I would cuss too that night. Now, again, that was a kind of a sidetrack story, but, but in that night, in that storm, Jesus gives us one command. He says, abide in me. Abide in me. Live in me. Draw on me. There's only one way you're going to make it through this night. Only one way you're going to make it through this night. Live in me. Draw on the sap of my divine life on the inside of you. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Obey me. Listen to me. Draw on me. This will be the only way to navigate the storm. And I would leave John 15 with you. He has made you his dwelling place. Will you make him yours? Will you make him yours? Will he become your number one source of joy? Your number one source of comfort and divine entertainment? And can we go through the journey long enough to not evaluate it after a week, but go on a detox of dullness, breakthrough dullness, most of us will go through. I mean, we've all got our New Year's resolutions. We understand that to get fit, you're going to have to go through two, three, four months of hell to get where you got to get. But yet, in the Bible and spiritual matters, we think we can eat junk food in our spiritual life for 10 years and then expect us looking like a P90X guy 10 days later in the spirit. It don't work that way. No, you understand that there is the issue of the law of sowing and reaping and cultivating a whole new disposition on the inside of you. I want you to get a, a year plan before you get into evaluating anything and say, I could care less. I'm not going to base this on how much I feel. I'm going to break through dullness. I'm going to go on the journey of boredom. I'm going to go through the detox of needing some stimuli to entertain me. And I want to lock in on his voice and hear him. And guys, I want to call you to, I want to call you to fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. I want to call you to fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, talking to Him, talking Bible to Him, whispering phrases to Him, praying in the Holy Spirit, beginning to l connect with that person that lives on the inside of you. Jesus. Hallelujah. As times become more complex in our nation, I believe the call of God is to simplify. I believe it is actually to dial down, to come out of the, the, the swirl of our culture and to lock eyes with our eternal roommate. Guys, we don't hear a lot about that in the, in the church. Do you understand a person lives on the inside of you? And he's not third cousin of the Trinity. He's God. He's as much God as father and son are God. We don't know what he'll do. Some of us are a little unnerved about him because we think he'll, because you can't define him like you can the father and the son. He's a little bit undefinable in that way and we don't know what to do with him. He little unnerves us. Will he make us shake? Will he make us do weird things? We treat him like a drunk uncle at Christmas. Just put him off in the back room. Because we know if he comes out, he'll just tell everybody's business. We don't know what to do with him. We're a little embarrassed of him. 
Don't be embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. Don't be embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, for a season, I think it'd be good to call him Holy Spirit. He's not a the. You don't say the Jesus. You call him his name. His name's Jesus. Do you know Holy Spirit? Do you know him intimately? His first name is Holy. When you hang out with Holy, you become Holy. When you talk to Holy, you, you, it, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It becomes, he becomes your best friend. And when you're trying to watch a show where there's fornication, adultery, or things against God, he will begin to say, I don't like this on the inside of you. And you'll have to turn it off because it's not okay with your best friend. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about my most coveted relationship is grieved by this. And he is worth more, and intimacy and communion with him is worth more to me than anything else. Oh, I want to call you into fresh fellowship with Holy Spirit, intimacy with Holy Spirit, communion with Holy Spirit. We do it through the Bible. We do it through talking to him, and we do it through praying in tongues. Yes, tongues. Praying in tongues has changed my life. You access the heart and the mind and the will of God like no other place. And I'm not talking about having a charismatic badge where you fall down at a meeting. I want you to get a vision at 6 a.m. in the morning with a cup of coffee in your hand and beginning to bless your spirit and beginning to well up within me and beginning to pray in the Holy Spirit. And I know sometimes that kind of sell you intellectual. You guys are more intellectual up here. It don't make sense. And God says, good. I hold, I hide mysteries. I conceal mysteries in the babblings of the tongues of the nations. And you got to deal with it. And until you learn limbo my way, you won't begin to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. You know, God's into limbo. That's it. How low can you go? We did that. When I was growing up, we had the, the roller skate ring. And at the end of every night, we had that where they laid the bar. Anybody else do that? And they had the, how low can you go? I was never any good at it. But I really feel like the Lord says, okay, this is how we're going to do this thing. If you can buy into being humiliated or things not making sense to your mind and get converted and become like a little child, you will begin to inherit the kingdom of God. Because you want to find the king of glory, you'll find him in a dirty stable in Bethlehem. You won't find him in the palace. And you've got to travel out to dirty Bethlehem to find him. What do you think about that? And he, he doesn't have a problem with it. He burst the church in a bunch of fishermen coming out of an upper room speaking in the tongues of the nations. And they're untrained, they're unlearned, and Jesus goes, this is the best way that I could think of starting church. Have you bought into his ways? Have you bought into his wisdom that looks foolish to men, that looks foolish to intellectuals who prides themselves in their own wisdom and their own ingenuity and their own abilities? Have you bought into that intimacy of talking to a person that you don't see? That's why prayer can be, sometimes be difficult. We're talking to an invisible person and we believe the words we say they move, and they, they transcend time and distance, and they transform lives. Anyway, I want to call you into fellowshipping with Holy Spirit this year. Amen? All right, good. Let's stand. Holy Spirit. 
Now, while I've been preaching this message, I, something that the Lord's begun to rest on me in a fresh way, and I've been given this. Some of you, there's two groups of people that I want to pray for. One group is, if there's anybody in this room, you've never given your life to Jesus. If you were to die tonight or die today, we're not promised tomorrow. If you were to die tonight or die, do you know where you would spend eternity? Have you put your faith in Jesus alone as your own righteousness? That you have no other right standing before God outside of what he's done for you. And that you've got to believe on a man hanging on a cross as your only righteousness. If there's anybody in this room, you've never given your life to Jesus. I don't care how long you've been going to church and how many Bible verses you know. But you don't know him as a person. You don't know him in intimacy. You don't know him as father. There's not an intimacy with him. If there's anybody in here that does not know Jesus in a personal way and know him as your Savior and your Lord, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray for you today. Anybody, come on, come on, anybody. Good. And if you're not, then you'll feel your heart beating real fast right now and feel an uncertainty just to help you understand what you're supposed to feel right now. There's an uncertainty in you. If there's uncertainty, it's the Lord saying, no, you're not. There's another group in here. You have made everything else your dwelling place but God. You have ran to everything else in this world. You, you believe in Jesus. You're saved. But yet, you're in a state to where he's more of a crisis ATM than, a, than your dwelling place. And he wants to begin to release a revolution in your life in 2016. A new season of clinging to Christ. Clinging to him alone. He wants to baptize some of you in the Holy Spirit. He wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have given, you've gotten caught into those storms, the sexual storms. Pornography is destroying your life. You're in addictions that you can't get out of. You're in media addictions, social media addictions, substance addictions, person addictions, people that you can't break away from as they're going in a different direction. And you're like, God, I want you to become my dwelling place. I don't want that person or that substance or that television show I don't want that to be my source of comfort and joy I want you God and Lord I want to define it as something that's stealing that place with you God and I want to go after you in a fresh way ha 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 if there, any one of those things speak to you I want you to raise your hand and you want to make a fresh commitment saying God I want you to become my dwelling place I want you to become my one thing It's all over the room. You just want to make a statement to heaven. Whether it be a person, substance, media. That's it. Shandalaboto <laughs> 
I want to feed my spirit and not feed my flesh. You say to those who walk in the spirit, they shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want to be a man of the spirit. I want to be a woman of the spirit. I want to be a person of the spirit. Yes, God. God, we just repent right now. This song she's singing as we rend our hearts. I want you to rend your heart before God. Say, God, I confess it is sin. I break away. God, I, I, right now, God, give me wisdom on how to break away from this person. Give me wisdom on how to break away from these people that are taking me away from you. Give me wisdom on how to distance myself from them. Some of you say, God, give me wisdom on how to begin to break substance addictions. To begin to break media addictions. Give me wisdom, God. Help me, God. Give me insight. I repent of it tonight, God, today. And we, we, we rend our hearts. We don't give religiosity. We tear our hearts saying, God, I want you in a greater way in 2016. I want greater intimacy with you, greater joy in you. Just lift your hands to him. Come on, as we rend. Yes, God. We ask you to rend the heavens this morning. Open up the heavens, Abba. Pour out your spirit.